All right. Hello, Christ community. Uh, glad that you are here. Greetings to our West Campus that meets at Northridge High School and our traditions venue. Again, glad all of you are joining us. I love, I love our church and I love all that God is doing here. I had the opportunity last week to meet with a new couple at Christ Community. And they were asking me, so tell me about, tell us about your outreach. What are you guys doing for outreach? And so I got to just do this for the city and beyond kind of vision cast in terms of all that God is doing through this, this vision. We as a church, we want to be for our city, intentionally focusing on areas of need around us. And so that's how For the City and Beyond started 18 months ago. We're asking that question, how can we move towards specific needs in our community and respond to those needs? And one of the needs that, that we knew we wanted to focus on was the area of children and families. Whenever I drive to work, I drive past a couple of of, of schools, and I see kids, you know, walking to school with backpacks, and I can't help, when I look at these kids, I can't help but wonder, do, do they have parents that hug them and that regularly express love for them? Do, do they know how valuable they are in God's eyes and that he has a purpose for them? Statistics reveal that a significant percentage of children are not in good situations at home. Uh, absent parents or under-resourced parents or situations with abuse. And we don't want to be a church that just drives past these needs without doing something, which is why I am so passionate about our Kids Hope program. I've been a, men I've, I've a mentor to a number of kids through Kids Hope. Um, and you heard about earlier in the video, there, there are literally hundreds of children at Maplewood on a waiting list. They want a tutor. Hundreds on a waiting list. They want a tutor, and they want, they want to spend an hour a week with someone. And every year, we have to say no to many of those kids because we don't have enough mentors. Could this be the year that we actually, every child there that wants a tutor could have one? So if you have an hour a week, you can make a huge difference in the life of a child. You can, you can pour into their hearts the love that they long for changing the trajectory of their life in a significant way. So please, please pray about being involved. Uh, we have college students involved. We have retirees involved, and we have everyone in between. And we need lots more. So let's be, let's be a church that is for our community, for our children in our community in a, in a greater way than ever before. <clears throat> Okay, so I just joined my first fantasy football league. I'm a total rookie. I had to have someone help me with the draft and all of that. I'm not fully under, you know, I think I get it, but I don't completely understand all the things I'm supposed to be doing during, you know, leading up to each weekend. But I do know that last weekend, the first weekend of the NFL season, last weekend was a totally different experience for me. For years, I have watched NFL football for one reason, the Denver Broncos. That's all that mattered. I was, I was singularly focused on how well they were doing. But last weekend, as a fantasy football participant, all of that changed. See, I wasn't only interested in how the Broncos were doing. I was wondering how my guy Russell Wilson was doing for Seattle, right? And how the running backs and the wide receivers I had drafted, how they were doing. I was so much more engaged in all that was going on in the NFL last weekend rather than my previously narrow focus. Honestly, it was a lot more fun. 
especially because I won last weekend. Yes. So, um, but, so, so as I was thinking about that experience, I realized there is a very similar dynamic that can occur in our lives in the area of prayer. We can, we can settle into a prayer rhythm that works for us, that feels comfortable for us, it seems to be adequate, not realizing that there is so much more to experience in prayer than we initially revealed was even possible. Now, this was the situation for the disciples, the situation for the disciples in Luke chapter 11. So one day after Jesus was praying, one of his disciples said to him, hey, Jesus, can you teach us to pray the way you pray? Now, it's not like the disciples didn't pray. I mean, they were devout Jews, right? Prayer was a common experience for a Jewish person in that culture. But evidently, they saw something in Jesus' prayer life that they longed to experience. They saw a power. They saw a vibrancy and effectiveness. And so they asked Jesus to teach them to pray the way he prayed. I mean, think of that. That's like asking Carrie Underwood for singing lessons, right? Or, or Warren Buffett to teach us how to invest money or Von Miller how to play defense, right? If anyone knows how to pray, it would be Jesus, And so in this passage, we see Jesus himself teaching us how to pray. This passage is often referred to as the Lord's Prayer, and it's a very familiar prayer. It's recited in many churches every weekend and in many locker rooms before football games. It is a very familiar prayer. And because of that, it's often viewed as being a sort of a, a beginner's prayer, prayer 101. But it is not just prayer 101. It is not just beginner's prayer. This prayer shows us how Jesus prayed. It shows us the critical elements in a healthy, vibrant prayer life for all of us, whether we're just beginning in prayer or we have been praying for years. What we learn from Jesus' words in terms of how to pray like he prayed. What we learn here can significantly impact our experience of prayer. So last week, we looked at the first half of the Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. These three statements are foundational to a vibrant prayer life. So if you missed last week, I urge you, I encourage you, listen on our app or online. What we saw in these three statements, um, these three statements, what we saw is that they begin to focus us in a a very specific direction, a God-word direction. See, according to Jesus, this is where healthy praying begins, by focusing on God, by focusing on him as our loving father, Reminding that we're not, reminding ourselves we're not orphans, we are sons and daughters, by focusing on praising him, right, hallowed be his name for his holiness and all that, and by focusing on his kingdom coming, which as we talked about last week is not a prayer for the second coming of Jesus. It is not. Your kingdom come is a prayer to see his influence and his life and his power being released into the darkness and discouragement and devastation all around us right now. Okay, so the first half of this prayer is an incredible invitation to focus on God and to partner with him in his purposes on earth. That's where Jesus teaches us to begin our prayers. The first part of our prayers is that whole area. Well, today we're going to look at the second half of the Lord's Prayer, which naturally follows what we just talked about. After focusing on God and partnering with him and his purposes, the second half of this prayer gets very personal. 
The focus shifts to our own situation before God. There are three specific areas of prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray about. Now, you need to know, just want to let you know right up front here, we're not interested in simply hearing a teaching. We want to practice this stuff. We're about response and practicing and life change. And so we're, we want to actually experience it. And so we're going to stop periodically through this message at a couple points in this message, and we're, we're going to stop and we're actually going to practice what we're learning about. Okay? So Jesus begins the second half of the prayer by praying, give us each day our daily bread. <clears throat> so after encouraging us to pray this glorious your kingdom come prayer, Jesus then urges us to pray for bread, <laughs> to pray for this very practical need in our lives. I mean, this is just like God, isn't it? It's just like God. He is glorious and he is powerful and he is majestic, right? And holy. And yet here he is caring about whether or not you and I have bread. I mean, God the Father cares about these practical details of our lives, these day-to-day -day needs. He wants us to come to him with whatever is on our heart and to ask for his provision. I mean, this is, this is incredibly wonderful news. And yet, if we're honest, many of us here, if we're honest, it's something we struggle to believe. I think for a lot of us, we feel uncomfortable praying about specific needs like car repairs um, or a test we have at school um, or a lost set of car keys, right? Or a headache that we have or, a new, or acne or whatever, right? God has got a lot on his plate. He's kind of running the universe. He's got a lot on his plate. So why bother him with these minor things in our lives? Now, we may not say that, but we honestly often feel it, don't we? We feel a bit embarrassed to pray about something so small, so insignificant in the grand scheme of things. But according to Jesus, God wants us to pray about these things. He wants our prayer life to include these day-to-day -day details, these things that are of concern to us. He's our Father. I mean, like any good father, he cares about what we care about. And he wants us to come to him with those requests, those needs, those concerns. One of my favorite books on prayer is a book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this next week too, but great book. Paul Miller, A Praying Life. And in the book, he tells about a time when he was reading a book on prayer. And in this book on prayer, uh, it was a good book on prayer, but he said at one point, the author kind of implied that we shouldn't pray for trivial things. And he gave a specific example of parking places, parking spaces, that we should not pray for parking spaces because that would be selfish. Well, when Miller read this, he couldn't wait to tell his mom, Rosie Marie Miller, because Rosie is 82 years old, and she works as a full-time missionary in London. So after raising five children on a meager pastor's salary, she and Miller's dad went on to share the gospel in the slums of Uganda and the streets of Dublin. And, and now, 82 years old, she's still doing missionary work. So she's discipling South Asian women and she's building friendships with South Asian cab drivers in London. All this is going on. So Miller took her out for breakfast and he told her what this author had said about praying for parking spaces. And here's how he describes her response. She looked a little incredulous, cocked her head and started laughing and said, how else would you find a parking place? 
I love that. I mean, here, here's a woman who has learned to live in complete dependence upon her heavenly father so that she prays about everything. It is not a mark of selfishness. It is a mark of absolute dependence, of, of trust. See, in this prayer for daily bread, Jesus is encouraging us to pray about any need we have, no matter how small it may seem, no matter how trivial it may seem to us, or or it may seem in the the grand scheme of things, important to us, but it may seem trivial in the grand scheme of things. No matter how trivial it seems, Jesus says, pray about it. I mean, do we, do we have that kind of intimate, conversational, real relationship with God where we instinctively pray about any and every need? Instinctively, we pray about any and every need. A few years ago, my wife, Raylene, was in the backyard with our youngest son, Josh, Joshua, who loves his action figures. Um, Josh is, is um, nonverbal, um, and so these play toys become a very significant part of his life. He has them all the time. Um, and there was one in particular that was his favorite. It was Robin of the dynamic duo, Batman and Robin. And we, you can find Batman everywhere. You cannot find Robin everywhere in action figures. So we had searched online, and we had gone to great lengths to actually get Robin for Josh. And we found, we found him, and it, and, and, and immediately, Robin became Joshua's favorite. So while they were in the backyard one afternoon, Joshua somehow accidentally just heaved Robin into a massive area of bushes and ground cover. Raylene hadn't even been looking at what had happened, so she didn't even know where Robin had gone in, in general area, where he had gone. But Josh was in tears. I mean, this was serious. And so Raylene just in a panic, just starts looking everywhere, couldn't find Robin. And by now, Josh is, was totally distraught, totally distraught. Robin, I mean, you know, he's, he's just kind of freaking out. And so Raylene stopped, and she's like, I, I need to pray. We, we need to pray. And so stopped with Josh, and she says, Jesus, would you help us find Robin? She reached her hand into a random spot of ground cover, and there he was. <laughs> there he was. Now, does God care about Robin action figures? Not generally. But he does care about what we care about, Right? He doesn't care about action figures, but he cares about what we care about. And I think he was glad that Raylene stopped in that moment and asked him for help because she needed help. Now, I wish God always answered our desperate prayers in such an obvious, dramatic way, but he doesn't. If he did... I think we'd probably no longer view him as a father, but rather as a vending machine. You know, it kind of would turn into that. And, and so sometimes he answers yes to those kinds of prayers for a contact lens in the snow or Robin in ground cover or whatever. And sometimes the answer is delayed and it doesn't happen the way we want. But, but that doesn't change this wonderful truth that he wants us to come to him with anything on our heart and to ask him to meet that need. Give us each day our daily bread. Okay, so we're going to stop right here for a moment. And we're going to just experience this aspect of praying together. So let's just, if you close your eyes when you pray, great. If you keep your eyes open, that's fine. But we're just going to quiet our heart for prayer. And again, if you're, a, um, if you're not a believer in Jesus, maybe you're still exploring or you're an atheist or agnostic or whatever, no pressure at all. You can just chill out here. We're just glad you're here. 
But for the rest of us, we kind of want to practice what we're learning. So just quiet our heart. And I want you to realize God is your father. And he wants you to come to him with whatever's on your heart, no matter how trivial it may seem in the grand scheme of things. And so I want you to do that. Let's just quiet our heart. And in the quiet of your heart, just ask him for something you need for you personally something you need, something you long for. So God, thank you for being a, our Father who actually wants us to come to you and tell you what's on our heart and to ask you throughout our day just to ask you for what we need. Thank you for being that kind of a God. Even though you're running the universe, you want us to come to you in that way and ask. And so we do that. We do that. Help us continue to grow in this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so that's the first part of the second part of the Lord's Prayer, first part we're looking at uh, today. So a second aspect now of this personal side to praying is revealed in, next in verse four. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Now talk about something deeply personal. I mean, when we pray, Jesus wants us to take time to look at our own hearts through the lens, our own hearts and lives through the lens of forgiveness. Now, there are two aspects of this that Jesus specifically mentions. First of all, is confessing our own sin. He says, forgive us our sins. Now, this prayer is a recognition that the only way we can ever get to God, the only way we can have a relationship with God is through forgiveness. Because we're all sinners, right? We, we, can't, we, we can't earn our way into a relationship with God by trying to be a good person and going to church and doing all these nice things for people. We can't earn our way. None of that will work because our sin separates us from God and we can do nothing to fix this, which is why God sent Jesus. He gave his life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. When we place our trust in Jesus, work on the cross, our sins are completely forgiven. Past, present, and future. All of them are covered by his blood, which raises a very important question. Why would Jesus be urging us to ask for forgiveness if our sins are already forgiven through the cross? Is it so that God can like us again? You know, a lot of Christians think that, that when we sin, God turns his face away from us, that our sin blocks our relationship with him, so then we need to confess our sin in order for God to turn his face back towards us. But, but folks, a lot of people think that, but that is to completely miss what Jesus did on the cross. I mean, if God's love and acceptance of me are dependent upon whether or not I have confessed every sin I've ever committed, I'm in trouble. And so are you, right? We're in trouble. That cannot be what Jesus is talking about. He has already paid for all of our sin on the cross. So why then 
are we to ask for forgiveness? If it's not to somehow get reinstated in our relationship with God, if it's not somehow to remove some barrier between him and me, then why ask for forgiveness? Here's why. It's for our sake. It's for our sake. See, sin doesn't block our relationship with God in terms of his love and his acceptance of us. It doesn't. But what it does do, what sin does do, is harden our heart. It hardens our heart. Every time we willfully sin, we close our heart to this reservoir of God's love and life that are ours in Christ. The more we give in to that sin, the greater hold it has on us. And we we start loving that sin more than God. So how do we stop this cycle? Well, one way to stop is by confessing our sin to God, not by ignoring our sin or minimizing it or rationalizing. No, no, no. We, We own it. We own our sin before God, naming it specifically, and then we invite his mercy and grace into that place, his forgiveness. See, there there is power, there is freedom in that kind of confession of sin. Again, it's not for God's sake. It is for our sake. What Jesus is urging us to include in our regular part of our prayer time is, is, is a time where we ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind any area of sin in our life, any place where we're allowing sin to permeate our heart. And as we listen to the Spirit, He may bring to mind that incident that happened yesterday when we yelled at that person or we got defensive when they were uh, talking to us about something or, or we got angry or whatever. Or maybe He'll point out an area of compromise where we're giving in more and more and we're, you know, we're just kind of compromising more and more. By, by confessing these things specifically, And honestly, before the Lord, we can experience his forgiveness in those places, which can help us begin to break free from their hold on us. It's it's when we ignore them or keep them a secret or act like they're no big deal, that's when they gain power. Okay, Now, now Jesus also mentions another aspect of forgiveness that he wants us to include in our prayer lives, and this is the forgiveness of others. Forgive us our sins, that's the first part, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. See, every time we pray, Jesus wants us to examine our heart to see if there is anyone we need to forgive. Now, there's a really good reason why Jesus puts this in here. It's because we need it. It's because we need it regularly. Having done this pastoral thing for about 27 years now, I can, without hesitation, assert that One, if not the most spiritually damaging things we can allow into our lives is unforgiveness. Someone hurts us, someone sins against us, and we choose to hang on to that hurt. We choose to nurse that grudge, to let bitterness fester in our hearts. We replay the hurt over and over again in our minds. We tell other people about, you know what this person did to me? We tell other people, we rehearse it. See, the bottom line is we hang on to it. And here's what is so subtle about this. It feels really good and justified to hang on to. After all, they hurt us, right? We deserve to assert our rights. We deserve to hold this over their head and to not let it go, right? They were in the wrong. We were in the right. So we feel justified in hanging on to that hurt, all the while not realizing the danger, the damage that it's causing us physically, Unforgiveness will affect our sleep, our digestive system, our stress level. So physically, emotionally, 
It increases our level of anger or depression. Unforgiveness impacts us relationally. Our bitterness spills over into all of our relationships. Every part of our life is impacted by unforgiveness. I, I know a person who couldn't get pregnant for the longest time, very long time, trying to get pregnant. And, and one day a church, a church they attended, it wasn't this one, but another church they attended, someone she had just met pulled her to the side and said, hey, I, I know this is kind of awkward, but I just, I feel like the Lord um, wants me to tell you that unless you forgive your sister, you won't be able to conceive. This woman didn't know. She didn't know that this woman had been trying to get pregnant for three years and had had two miscarriages. So she, after that experience, she forgave her sister and she became pregnant three months later. Now, again, stories like that, I'm not saying that that's everyone who's trying to get pregnant, that's the key. I'm just saying that's an example of how unforgiveness impacts us in ways we have no idea about. It can, it can negatively impact every area of our life, which is why Jesus includes this in his teaching on prayer. He's saying, and when you pray, pray about this, include this. He commands us to forgive anyone who hurts us, not for their sake. It's for our sake. It's for our hearts to be free and whole. So what this means, practically speaking, is that in, regularly in prayer, what we need regularly in prayer is to, is to stop at some point in our prayer time and just ask the Holy Spirit, is there anyone I need to forgive? Is there anyone right now I'm harboring anger or bitterness towards because of something they have done to me? Sometimes when I, when I pray that, sometimes the Holy Spirit will bring to mind someone that I've already forgiven multiple times, but I need to do it again because I'm letting anger and bitterness, you know, creep in. I'm rehearsing again. I'm playing these old tapes, you know, rehearsing the hurtful conversation that they said, they, the, the things they said to me or whatever. So I bring this offense to the cross in prayer and I leave it with Jesus. That's what forgiveness is. It's not excusing the person. It's, it's not minimizing what they've done. Oh, no, that's okay. It's not saying, it's not any of that. To forgive is to say, this really hurt me, but I don't want to carry this offense any longer. So I bring it to the cross of Jesus. Jesus, I choose right now, I choose to let go of my right to hold on to this. I forgive this person. Keeping our hearts free from bitterness is a, is a, part of a healthy prayer life um, and, and, and really life in general. So we're going we're gonna to stop and we're going to practice this before we go to the last part of this message in the Lord's Prayer. And here's how we're going to do this. One of the most powerful reminders of the need and the power of forgiveness in our lives is the Lord's Supper. At the table, those who are believers in Jesus partake of the bread, which represents Jesus' body, and the juice, which represents his blood given for the forgiveness of sins. And this table, this, this, the table of the Lord's Supper is a table not for perfect people. It's a table for forgiveness, both for ourselves and for others. So in just a moment, our worship team's going to come out. Just a moment, they'll come out. And they're going to lead us in a couple songs of worship that focus our hearts on the forgiveness of Jesus. And as, as those songs are sung, we want to encourage you to examine your heart by asking two questions. First question, is there any sin I need to confess to the Father right now? Is there any sin that I need to own 
I haven't confessed it to him. I need to own it and just confess it to the Lord and receive the truth of his forgiveness. That's the first question. And if so, do that in prayer. Second question. Holy Spirit, is there anyone I need to forgive? Anyone that I'm harboring bitterness towards, I'm holding on to a hurt. And again, if so, bring that offense to the cross and just leave it there. You can do this in the quiet or just, I choose to forgive. I leave this at the cross because you don't want to carry that any longer. You don't want to carry the weight and the poison of that offense any longer. Okay, so once you've examined your heart, songs will be playing or whatever, but one, and we're just encouraging this kind of attitude of reflection. Once you've examined your heart before the Lord and you've received his forgiveness as well as extended his forgiveness, I encourage you then, come to a table. The tables are around the room. Come to a table and partake of the bread and the juice. Take a piece of bread and you dip it in the cup and then you can partake right there. You can go back to your seat. And again, this is a reminder of the price that Jesus paid so that we could experience forgiveness and so that we could extend forgiveness to others. So let me pray for us as we enter into this second response today. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for giving your life on the cross so that we could experience forgiveness, all of our sins covered under your blood. Thank you. And I pray, Lord, as we are just preparing our hearts that if there's a sin we need to confess, where we need to experience your forgiveness afresh, that we would do that. We would own it. Not minimize it. We would own it. And we would confess it to you. And you would cleanse us. And then secondly, Lord, if there isn't a person we need to forgive, someone who's hurt us and we're holding on to that, I pray right now in these moments we would be able to bring that to the cross and release, leave that with you, Lord. And just release that offense. We don't want to carry it any longer. The weight of that, we release it. So I pray for forgiveness to flow as we prepare our hearts and then as we actually partake of the Lord's Supper in these next few minutes. Jesus Christ. 
and mistakes come today there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling bring your sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. And bow down before him, for he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Hallelujah, we sing hallelujah, the 
Lamb is overcome, and we sing hallelujah, we sing hallelujah, we sing hallelujah. The Lamb is overcome, we sing hallelujah, we sing hallelujah, we sing hallelujah. The Lamb is overcome. We sing hallelujah, we sing hallelujah, we sing hallelujah, the Lamb is overcome, the Lamb is overcome, yes, the Lamb is overcome. Hallelujah. 
We sing hallelujah, the Lamb is overcome. Jesus, thank you for forgiveness of our own sin and the grace to forgive others through the power of the cross. And we, we want to continue to incorporate this into our regular prayer rhythm as you are teaching us to pray. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can have a seat. Now, before we move on to uh, the final section of this amazing prayer of Jesus, let me just mention that if you feel kind of stuck in a, in a place of wounding in your past where um, it just some bitterness and you just feel like you need some help, just some spiritual help and kind of walk on through that. We have a prayer ministry here called Hope Abounds that can help you walk through that with Jesus. And, and so you can call the church and make an appointment. It's free um, to call the church. And we have a team that would love to um, just pray with you through some of those things. Okay, the final area of prayer Jesus mentions in his teaching is found in verse four. He finishes this prayer by saying, and lead us not into temptation. Now, Jesus realizes, he assumes actually, that we realize there's a war going on <laughs> and that we are living in a war zone. We are participants in a spiritual battle, the stakes of which are incredibly high. And yet often we lose sight of this. We forget who our real enemy is. We, we, we forget that there are evil forces lined up against us, demonic forces that wish us harm, which is why Jesus urges us to include this, include a spiritual warfare dimension into our prayer life. Now, Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer specifically focuses on the area of temptation. Lead us, lead us not into temptation, which on the surface seems like kind of a weird prayer. Because the Bible says God would never lead us into temptation. He doesn't ever tempt anyone. That's the devil's MO, not God's. And so what, is, what does this mean? Well, I find it helpful to envision a comma after the word us. So the meaning is lead us. That's the heart of this prayer. Lead us, not into temptation, but into good things. It's a prayer for us to be led by God and to follow him rather than to give in to temptation. I mean, all of us have areas of struggle with certain areas of sin, right? Certain aspects of sin. And usually the only time, or maybe this is just me, but usually the only time we pray about them is after we've given in and we're praying for forgiveness, right? Um, but Jesus is urging us to be way more proactive than that. Jesus is urging us to specifically ask God for help in these temptations, to help us in the temptation. Notice the prayer is not to remove the temptation. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Um, but that's not the prayer. That's not going to happen in, in this life. You know, the, the temptations are not going to be removed. The prayer, the prayer is for us to, to more wholeheartedly follow God's lead. Lead us rather than into this temptation. Lead us. Because there's, there's always a way out. There's always a way out, no matter what the temptation is. There's always a way out. And God is eager to show us the way out. And in fact, there's a verse that says this. I'm gonna look, we're going to look at it real quick here. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Look at this verse. 
No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it, right? So that you can escape from it. God gives us a way out of every temptation, an escape route. But we have to be willing to look for it and actually take it, which is why this prayer is so powerful. Lead us, Lord, not into temptation. Show me the escape route so that I can follow you. I mean, there's a reason where Paul elsewhere says, flee youthful lusts. He doesn't say fight (laughs) because he knows how vulnerable we are. We got to flee and, and the escape route helps us flee. Show me the escape route so that I can follow you. Now, Matthew's version of the same prayer in Matthew 6, it includes the phrase, and deliver us from the evil one. So it broadens this prayer to include a more general spiritual warfare prayer. So when I get to this aspect of my prayer time, I usually will say something like this, Father, lead me, not into temptation, lead me into life. Help me follow you in the midst of my temptations. And then I'll say something like, I now bring the cross of Christ between me and any work of the enemy. I cut off every foul spirit in the name of Jesus, every foul spirit that's at work. And I claim the blood of Jesus over myself and over my family and over our church staff and over our church, something like that. I'm just trying to engage in a spiritual battle, a prayer of protection, we're in a battle, and Jesus wants us to remember that by including into our, in our prayer lives this aspect of praying spiritual warfare prayers. So again, we're going to stop right now, and we're going we're gonna to do this. This is something we're going to do personally, so we're quiet our hearts again. I want you to take a moment here and enter into this kind of prayer, okay, for a few moments. Now, what we're going to do, before we jump in, hold on just a sec, we're going to put on the screen the words of the prayer that I just said, um, not so that we'll say it out loud together, so we're not going to pray out loud here, but we're going to put the words up in case you'd like to use those words um, in your own prayer to God, okay? So let's get the words up on the screen. You can use this kind of language if you want, but let's just take a moment of quiet and pray spiritual warfare prayer over ourselves and our loved ones, just in the quiet of our heart. Jesus, thank you for including in this prayer this important element that we often forget. We just forget we're in a battle. And so thank you for this opportunity. Just teach us, continue to teach us how to pray warfare prayers over ourselves in terms of temptation and over our loved ones and our church and our family. Lord, that you would just help us pray these prayers regularly for your glory. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what I want to do right now, we're going to close in just a moment with a doxology song, but I want to bring all this together because we've been, for two weeks, we've been looking at this prayer. I want to just kind of step back and summarize this entire prayer that we've been looking at. This prayer shows us how Jesus prayed. It shows us the things that he wishes that we would, he urges us to include in our prayer lives. And so there are six elements in this prayer. And as a helpful way to remember, we have put together a bookmark. You can find it online or there there are copies available of this um, as you leave in just a couple minutes. We'll have them on tables there. I'll explain that in a moment. But the prayer begins, we put them all starting with the word P as a way to kind of remember this. So the prayer begins with presence. Our Our Father in heaven, right? Just honoring God as our Father. We're not orphans. We're not coming to Him as orphans. We're coming as beloved sons and daughters. Second is praise. So in this part, we're just expressing praise to God, hallowing his name. Third is purpose, your kingdom come. This is our opportunity to partner with God and and asking him to advance his kingdom in specific situations of darkness that we see around us. Fourth is provision. We looked at that today. Give us each day our daily bread, praying for whatever's on our heart. The fifth area is pardon. Confession of our sin. Lord, is there anyone else that we need to forgive? And then finally, protection. The sixth area, protection. This battle prayer that we just talked about. Now, this is not, this this prayer is not intended to be a formula. It's not intended to be a legalistic thing. So so please don't hear me kind of say, you have to pray this way. And it's not real prayer. If you haven't included all six things, that's not what we're saying. See, prayer is ultimately about relationship with God. It's an opportunity for us to be with Jesus and engage with him. But Jesus shows us in this prayer, he shows us how to do that. He gives us a pathway into a deeper, more vibrant, powerful prayer life. And so we encourage you to use this prayer to continue to grow in prayer and to learn from Jesus how to pray by using that. Okay. So why don't we stand and we're going to, we're going to close the service here. I'll come back up for the blessing, but we're going to close the service here by singing one song that kind of incorporates this whole prayer into it. And so this is kind of a doxology for us, just declaring who God is.